0: Ephesians chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. I was, uh, As you're turning there, I do want to make an announcement uh, to you, an uh, uh, update in a way, something that you probably didn't know about. You can't see this little one. But uh, this, this little one here's name is Josiah. And uh, Josiah is in China at the moment. But I want to read a letter from his parents. Dear Grace Fellowship, It is with deep gratitude that we send you this letter. You have extended your hand to the orphan, defending the fatherless. And at the same time, you have reached out to help our family in our efforts to bring our new son home. By helping us, you have ministered to the orphan. And you've also done good to us. As God says in his word, you've done good, especially to the household of faith. Thank you so much for the vision of your church, which you have put together in Micah's Hope. Thank you for partnering with us as we work to bring our son, Josiah, home. We are so thankful for the $3,500 matching grant which you have given. We've already received $10,050 from our friends just this week. God has been so faithful to our family throughout this process. We need approximately $7,000 to bring, uh, to make this adoption happen and bring Josiah home. With this matching grant, which you have provided to us, we have the potential of being fully funded. We praise the Lord for his grace and mercy in our lives and for using your church to help us bring Josiah into his forever family. We are humbled. Not only by your generosity, but also by, the willing, by your willingness to help an adoptive family that is outside your local body. Thank you, Grace Fellowship, for serving the body of Christ. We look forward to giving you more updates on Josiah and to update you on the journey the Lord has us traveling in this day. With great thanksgiving, Eric and Rebecca Hickson. God is using you. To accomplish His will. And this is just one picture. Of what He's doing through you. So I want to read that to you. I want to thank you as a church. I am so thankful for your faithfulness. And not only in this ministry. But in all the ministries. And all the ways you are so faithful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Now Ephesians 1. 10 through 12. Christ. The title of the message is Christ. The hope of the saved. The hope of the saved. The the Word of God reads, and I will start in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. According to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. In Him, God has made us a heritage. Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. You know, in this world, in our time, it can become very discouraging when we look around us and see the brokenness that fills our world. We think of specific instances. Instances like uh, a mother... Who has three small sons and now has been diagnosed with colon cancer. We think and we see, uh, when we think about these things, we, and we see these things, we see the brokenness of our world. We look and we listen as a mother bruised from the night before, tells us that her husband didn't really mean to lose his temper. And it doesn't really happen all that much. We meet our neighbor down the street, and then, through conversation and time, we find out that this poor woman has suffered through horrendous abuse in her life, having been abused by her father. Having been raped by a boyfriend and now having to live with the baggage and the scar of that. We meet another neighbor who, though they've tried for years, are not able to conceive a child. And we see this brokenness and we see it at every stage and level of our lives. And we are tempted to think that God has failed. Would you admit that this morning? That at times you think in your heart, God has lost control. Things are spinning outside of His will. We're helpless. And yet we read Ephesians chapter 1 and we see that our God has a plan. And it's not just a plan for some things it's a plan for all things and so when we have lost hope and you say but well, Christians don't lose hope and we don't have time this morning but I want you to write down and study this week Jeremiah chapter 20 one of God's greatest prophets in that passage is one of the most quoted passages from all of Jeremiah. If I would not speak of his name, it is as a burning fire shut up in my bones. You've heard that? You've heard preachers say, I gotta preach. I gotta preach. I just got this burning. They're just exuberant, you know, in their desire to speak. And they want to project that on Jeremiah. That's not what Jeremiah is saying in that passage what Jeremiah is saying is I'm in the stocks being stretched out until my joints are coming apart and I don't want to talk about God Jeremiah's angry Jeremiah has lost his hope Jeremiah is crying out cursing the day that he was born cursing the man who brought news of his birth that his that his mother had birthed a male child cursing that man and cursing that day and yet It is Jeremiah who in that same passage says, Sing to the Lord. This seeming contradiction of great searing pain that we know this is not the way it's supposed to be. And yet, as we're losing hope and we are faithless, Paul says, God remains faithful. That's real life, folks. I I don't want a sunshine pump up here and tell you that life's easy and it's going to be a bag of candy for you if you just come to Jesus. That's a false promise. The world is falling. And it is seeming at times to spin out of control. And that's why it's so crucial for us to study a passage like Ephesians 1 so that we see... Our God has a thought-out plan, which He is bringing to fruition at the fullness of time. And it includes all things. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You might say, what connection does this high theology have with my life? Well, I just gave it to you. When you're the one who's been raped... And some of you may have been. When you're the one who's been diagnosed with cancer, and some of you have been or may be in the future. When you're the one who has suffered through the abuse. When you're the one who has lost your job. When you're the one who has no family left. When you're the one who is struggling to make sense of this life. You need Ephesians 1. And I need Ephesians 1. So that we might, in the day of losing hope, know that God is faithful to His servants. That's that's what we're doing here, folks. We're studying God's Word to know God. Because if we don't know God, this world is a cruel joke. And there is no hope. But we have hope. And I want to talk to you about that just quickly. Three points. And you have them in your bulletin. All things are united in Christ. Now, I know we've talked about that two weeks already. Now we're on the third week. And I keep going back over this same verse, plowing this same ground. And you say, you, you, you say, hey, man, let's move on. Let's move on. But I confess, here's the point. I'm being changed spiritually through studying this passage, so I don't want to leave. I'm being selfish. God's changing me. And I'm just hoping that He will, the same way, change you through His Word. All things are being united in Christ. God has planned to sum up all things in Christ. That's the sub-point here. In verse 10 it says, As a plan for the fullness of time. We're going to talk about that phrase in a minute, just a little bit. To unite all things in Him. That's the phrase we're really focusing on. To unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. The word here is used as summing up. To bring to a point. That's what God's doing. God's summing things up. He's bringing things to a point. And the point is Christ. All of history can be best interpreted through the prism of the cross. That's how we view all of life. is through the cross. So... We look and we see that God, like a master planner, has been planning and has planned, before the foundation of the world, how this would all end. You see, God, like an architect, we might say in this verse, who, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time. What's in view here is God is like an architect in the eternal blessed state of the Trinity. Before there was anything else, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit covenanted to bring about all that is happening in this world. Spiritual and physical. He's coveted with Himself. He's made an architectural plan, we might say. Okay, Now, that's going to be important for us to understand what's going on here. It says, as a plan, in the fullness of time... Right? To sum up all things in him. Things in heaven. Things on earth. What we're seeing here is this plan is like that architect's plan. The blueprint. If you're going to build a building, you have to have a plan, right? Oh, you don't have to. Some of the contractors here might have seen people build without a plan. Right? It's a disaster. God's not a disastrous builder. God has a plan. And in the eternity past... When it was just Him, His Son, and His Spirit, He laid out that plan. It is fixed. It is blueprinted. It is done. It is sealed. It cannot be changed. Okay? It cannot be revised. It is His plan. And then in the fullness of time, He will bring about the completion of that plan. You see that? The phrase there in the fullness of time, dispensation, right? Some of your translations say dispensation, right? In the fullness of time, that is a word used in the Bible to speak about the end. It's used to speak about the end, and God has not only planned the beginning, but He's planned the middle, and He's planned the end, and He's now bringing it about in time. It is not going to change. It has never changed. God did not start planning with Adam, have an architectural plan drawn out, and then Adam ate some fruit one day, and God said, scrap that idea. Let's revise. Revision number one. Then Adam went along a while, and we got to Noah, and the world was exceedingly wicked, and the evil people were mating with the godly people. And all of the creation was being swallowed up in sin. And so he looked at Noah, a righteous man, and said, Revise plan number two. Let's start over. Human government failed. Let's, let's, let's go again. Try again. Maybe I can get it right this time. And then it failed. So he came up with a plan with Abraham. And then it failed. And he came up with a plan of Moses. And then it failed. And he came up with a plan for David. And it failed. So he sent his son. That's not what God did. Those things are simply new rooms, we might say, in the building which God already planned. God was constructing this foundation and this building perfectly according to plan. All of those segments of time fit perfectly the original plan of God, not a new plan. Okay? So, a plan in the fullness of time. The fullness of time will be at the very end, at the consummation of the age. When all, the coronation of the king. We might say, and so God, having won the victory in his son, Jesus Christ, is now bringing into reality what he has already planned in Christ. And he says he's planned all things in him. This plan is being brought about by the purpose and the will of God. Look at verse 10. It's being brought about as a plan to unite all things in him. The plan will be accomplished at the end of time, at the perfect time, we might say. I was thinking this week, you know, we keep saying, I wish God would hurry up. I wish God would come. I wish Christ would come, right? We should have a hope for Christ to come. But we should also understand that all things are being done purposely by God. And at the right time, Christ will come. Okay? And so we see that. And we say, at the high point of the ages, God will bring his plan to full realization. Secondly, in this sub point, we see that God is bringing the spiritual realm under the headship of Christ. Where do we see that? All things in heaven. You see, we mistakenly sometimes see this as a repetition. God has a plan for the fullness of times to unite all things in Christ, in Him. And then we read the next phrase as if Paul's just repeating what he said. No, he's expanding what he said. All things includes the spiritual realm, all things in heaven. Okay? Now, how do I know that? Well, you could look all over the Bible, or you could stay in the book of Ephesians. And so, for time's sake and for ease's sake, we're going to stay in the book of Ephesians. The most direct context. Look back up to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in what? In the heavenly places. We understood that's the spiritual realm. He has blessed us with all things in the spiritual realm. If we look at verse 10, which we're reading here, he says, The things in heaven and the things on earth. We move on in the passage to verse 20 in this same chapter. And look what he says. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So God's uniting all things in heaven, in the spiritual realm. He seated Christ in the heavenly places at the right hand of God. This is The the definition Paul has for the heavens is not the sky we see, but the spiritual realm which our physical eyes cannot see. That's what he's speaking about. If you continue in 2, verse 6, and raised us up with him, boy, I can't wait to get to that verse, and seated us with him in the heavenly places. We're seated with Christ, not in the blue atmospheric sky, but in heaven we're seated with him. Just a blurb about that. He is the second Adam. As all of us fell and sinned with Adam, so when Christ died, was resurrected and ascended to heaven, those who have hope in him ascend with him to heaven. I can't wait to get there. 3 verse 10. We might get some shouting going on when we get to that. I'm telling you. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now I told you we're not going to leave here. But he wrote to Timothy and said already. Listen son. The angels are watching your submission to the pastors of your church. The rulers and authorities of the heavenly places are watching the church. And they are in the heavenly places. The spiritual realm. We tend to think of location Paul's speaking of realm, kingdoms, heavenly kingdom, the heavenly realm. Verse 12 of chapter 6. Just one more example of how he uses the term heavenly places in this letter. Because here's what I'm doing. I'm building for you a context of how Paul uses a specific phrase. It, can't, it does not change through the book. It can't mean one thing here, one thing there, unless Paul redefines it for us. If somebody's reading the letter that you wrote, they have to take your meaning later in the text based on what you said earlier in the text. That's what I'm doing. I'm showing you what he means by heavenly places. Heavenly places. So, here in verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, and against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we get an expanded idea here, don't we? It's not just the good guys of heaven. It's the evil guys. The fallen ones. The authorities and rulers over the spiritual realm. The the forces of Satan. God. Listen, this should bring great comfort to you. God has a plan. And He is working that plan. And in that plan... Satan is going to be brought to submission to Christ. Every demon who has gone on the rogue will have to bow the knee and confess him as Lord. So when you're tempted to think this is all out of control, remember, all things in heaven will submit to him. All these evil things will submit to him. And not only in heaven, but things on earth. Things on earth. How does he use that phrase in our in our letter? Look at chapter 3, verse 15. Chapter 3, verse 15 says, In the prayer which I was praying, along with Paul, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He's talking about the spiritual realm, along with the physical realm. Worldly realm. All things in heaven and all things on earth. 4 verse 9. In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Not only are we saying that Christ ascended back to heaven, Paul says, but when we say He ascended back to heaven, what we also are logically saying is He humbled Himself and came in the flesh a servant even to the death on the cross. You can't have an ascension back to unless you have a descending to. Where did he come? He came to Bethlehem. In the womb of a virgin and was born. Right? And so when we read all things in heaven and all things on earth, we're seeing a spiritual realm and a physical realm. And Paul's saying God has a plan for all of that. And it sums up. It comes to a high point. It is brought together. It is unified in Christ Jesus. Verse 3 of chapter 6. One more time, we'll see. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, on the earth. And so we have here a context. What Paul is saying in Ephesians 1, verse 10, is that God has a plan which in the fullness of time, at the perfect time, at the right time, God will bring to full, complete, and and will unite everything spiritually and everything physically in His Son, Jesus Christ. So I got my announcement, my pronouncement from the doctor, right? I'm in the doctor's office, and he says to me, I haven't had this happen, but I'm just saying, if this happened, and he says to me, you have cancer, I better know that God has a plan for this physical world. And I better know it before I get to the diagnosis of cancer. Because if I don't, I think rogue cells in my body are now controlling my destiny. But in reality, those rogue cells are in submission to God. And they will only do what he has planned that they will do. So we have confidence now, even in physical things and in spiritual things. I have that wife. You're here, and you have that wife who you know for a fact is unfaithful to you. And spiritually, she is abusive to you, mocking your faith. You have to believe and have to know that God in His plan will make that right in the perfect time. If not, you lose hope. You not only lose it for a moment, you lose it forever. He is our hope is what I'm telling you. He is our hope. No, we as Christians should never stick our head in the sand and act as if these things don't go on. But we should, with a resolute spirit and a confident heart, stand in the face of adversity and say, Our Christ reigns. And He is doing everything perfectly in His plan. And I don't know why He's doing what He's doing in this case, but I know in time He will make all things new. That's the confidence we have from a verse like verse 10. And then we see, secondly, that all believers are God's heritage. As we're moving to that, though, I want to say, God will make all things in this world right at the perfect time. But that does not uh, dictate to us that He must do it on this earth. It dictates He will do it. But it does not dictate where it is done. Because see, when all things are made right, Peter says we will have a new heaven and a new earth. This shadow will pass away. We're passing through the shadow lands. Just as the Old Testament saints passed through the shadow lands of the Old Covenant, now we in the New Covenant find the fulfillment of the New Covenant in the reality of eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. So you're not forced to believe he must do it in this life. By this text. Okay? And so we move on to verse 11. He's made us a heritage. He's made us his inheritance. I said that last week. And I didn't give a great, maybe a great analogy. I thought I thought of it afterwards. I shared it with my home group. What this verse is saying I believe is not that we have obtained an inheritance in Him. That's true. We have obtained an inheritance in Him. But it's not saying that that in this verse, what it's saying in this verse is He has made us His inheritance. He has made us His heritage. What do I mean by heritage? Well, it's like this. Some of you are grandparents. Okay? Some of you will be. Some of you are a grandchild. And you've never understood your grandparents, how they love you. Listen, the greatest joy of a grandparent is what? They're what? Who do they want to talk about? Grandchildren. They don't want to talk about their children. They want to talk about their grandchildren. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the third generation is a heritage. What God is saying, and he's not a granddaddy, okay? He's our father. But what God is saying is that this whole earth has been fashioned and formed so that I might have you, church. He loves his church. All this world is going to melt away. And be recreated into a perfect new heaven and new earth. And the one thing that will go into that new heaven and earth from this world is his heritage. God has said, I have come to deliver my people. And I have come to deliver them from the iron furnace of Egypt. And when I deliver them, I will bring them across the sea. And when I bring them across the sea, I will bring them to a broad land. A land which flows with milk and honey. What God is saying to His church is I have created a world and you are in this world. And it is like an iron furnace. It is repressive. It is sinful. You are enslaved there. But now I have delivered you from your sin slavery. And I am going to deliver you to a new world which is broad and which flows with milk and honey. We are inheriting the promises of our forefathers in the church. And so how do we know we are? How do we know that God has made us His heritage? Well, we know it because if you look here, if we continue in the passage, we see that He has predestined according to the purpose, according to His own purpose, of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So we see that His work in this world is planned by the master plan, by the architect, the architectural plan has been laid out and now God according to his will is working out that plan to bring it into reality, to make it true, to make it our experiential life. We see it, we feel it, we taste it. That's what's coming. So that we who so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. He is giving us sure confidence in his ultimate plan. Because he has brought about the steps so far in his providential plan in this life. We can be confident that God has an end game plan. Because in, the, in this life we presently see him saving people from every tribe and every tongue and every language across the globe. So we can be confident in the face of adversity, in the face of oppression. And in, 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 in the day where the world seems to be falling apart, we can be confident because God is saving lost people. He's saving lost people and reconciling them to himself. And he's not only saving lost people and reconciling them to himself, but he is also reconciling Jews and Gentiles into one body, the body of his son. Not two peoples any longer, but one people, he says. We can be confident that in the end, he will bring all things under his sons in submission because Peter says he has created a new nation a holy nation of holy and royal priests. And he's talking about the church. We can be confident that our God will, will in the end make all things right because He's making all things right on an individual basis, on a church level basis, all over the world. That's what I'm saying. God is uniting us to His Son, and in that He is uniting, beginning to unite all things to Himself in His Son. And so we have confidence because of what He's doing in the church. What he's doing in the church. And so we see that God has worked everything according to his redemptive plan. Verse 11b, when we look at this passage and we see, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Listen, I don't know if you write in your Bible, but that's a good thing to circle. All things. All things. I don't know how, there's no other way to say it, is there? Everything is being worked according to the counsel of His will. Everything. Every situation of life, every disease we face, every divorce which occurs, everything in this life is being worked out according to His plan. Everything. All things. And we see in his church, in his bride, the future in microcosm. Because those from every tribe and every tongue and every language are being brought to rally around the one center, Jesus Christ. The one center, one central, undeniable fact that Christ is our King. All races, all mankind, all languages are rallying to him. And so we see that God is powerful and he is Uniting all things in His Son. All things. I don't know how else to say that. Except to say that God sovereignly, by His own will, according to the counsel of His own will, by His own architectural plan, is bringing about every event in this world. All things. Third point. All who hope are to the praise. All who hope are to the praise of God's glory. Finally, in verse 12, we see that all Christians... Have placed their hope in Christ. One of the sweetest ways that Paul speaks of the believer is that they are those who have hope. This does not mean wish. This does not mean it's a possibility. Hope is the strong belief in evidence which we have not seen with our eyes nor handled with our hands. But we know it to be a fact. Listen, when you're debating a lost man, I told the students th- this this week. When you're debating a lost man, talking to him, and he's, and he's presenting you this world without God, never, I can't say it any stronger than that, don't ever cross the bridge and get on his island and say, okay, let's pretend there is no God. You lose. You must be presuppositional in your argument. Presuppositional. What does that mean? I believe it as a fact beforehand. I believe it. We just said it, didn't we, in the Apostles' Creed? I believe. I believe. I believe. Don't ever walk off that in a debate, in an argument. Don't ever go take their side of the argument and try to argue them back to Jesus. Because at the moment you confess that there may not be a God, they win. Game over. over. What we must say is our hope is in Christ. And when they say, why do you have hope in Christ? Because he's the only one who gives hope. How do you know he's real? Because he created this world and the spiritual world. How do you know he created it? Because he says he created it. How do you know the Bible's so? Because he says it's his word and he's exalted it above his name. Well, you're just in circular reasoning. You're right. It's circular. It all circles around Christ. Everything I believe circles around Jesus Christ. And you, my friend, are in circular belief also. How's that? Because you use dirt to tell us what, how old a fossil is. And then you tell us how old the fo- dirt is by the fossil. That's called circular reasoning. You lose. I have a book which has been attested to us for over For over generation and generation has never been proven false. You have a theory. I have a fact. I believe. That's what we need to say. I believe. Don't ever give up your hope. Don't ever walk away from Jesus Christ in a debate. Don't ever crack in discussing God. Stand firm. He is our hope. We who have first placed our hope in Him. What a beautiful phrase. And who is Paul talking about? And there's two, two op- options. One I think is right. One option is to say he's talking about the Jews. We, meaning the Jews. Because in verse 13 and 14, he's going to say us. He sealed us, meaning, meaning, meaning sealed you by the Holy Spirit. Which he, he, Some would say the we is talking about Jews and the you is talking about Gentiles. He is going to talk about Jews and Gentiles in chapter 2, but he's not doing that here. Why? Because we is nowhere in chapter 1 used as reference to Jews, ever. Secondly, the promise, we who are, who placed our hope in Christ first, are to the praise of his glory, that's a true statement about the church. So who is he talking about? He's talking about himself and those who are with him. Look what he says. We. Who were the first to place our hope in Christ. He's speaking about those who are with him in the plural. We, we back up in the text. And every other time he uses that word in chapter 1, in all of chapter 1, is dealing with those who are with Paul versus those who are in Ephesus. Paul is talking about himself and those who are laboring with him in the gospel to bring the gospel to the church at Ephesus. They they believed first. They believed prior to those who believed after them through their ministry. And so he's saying, we, the church, we, Paul and my men who are with me, we are to the praise of the glory of Christ. All the church, all those who have placed hope are to the praise of his glory. And that's where I want to end. God has saved us for his own glory. My children are learning the catechism. And the first one question is, who made all things? And they say, God. Why did God make you and all things? For His own glory. Your salvation, my salvation, are not primarily about us. Our salvation is primarily about God. So that your neighbor down the street looks at your filth ridden life. And you come to Christ. And then you begin to live out the fruit of your salvation. And they say, whoever got a hold of that person is real. And they come and say, what happened to you? What happened to you? God. God saved me praise of his glorious grace and it's not just on the physical world realm it's in the heavenlies do you not know that every time a sinner is made right with God through the blood of Christ all of heaven celebrates all of the angels celebrate and they're not celebrating about you or about me they're celebrating their father their God they're celebrating the one who created them. They're celebrating His glory. They're celebrating His power. They're celebrating His righteousness. They're celebrating His justice. They're celebrating His sacrifice. They're celebrating salvation as redemptive plan is played out. All of heaven sings to His glory. All of you have been saved for the glory of God. Not for we are saved. That's a secondary thing. You know, it's true, but it's secondary. It pales in comparison. Listen, let me just close by saying this. Our God, who is in heaven, doing all things according to His plan, which He wills to happen, is bringing everything to a point, and that point is Christ. All of history is summed up in Christ. For His glory. In heaven and on earth. And the way we know that is happening is we see the changed life of sinners. And we see the victorious power of Christ over sin in our lives. And so therefore we know, we are confident that our hope is in the one who should be hoped in. And there is no other. So go out armed with that this week. Into this world. And when someone challenges you don't ever back away. stand firm in him. You know, I had a professor of biology, and she was a sweet lady, so sweet and we uh we were taking a test on um, uh, it included evolution and um it was a very scientific approach to things, obviously it's science class. And I remember I said to her, um, Is it okay with you if I write your answer and then in the column I write what I really believe? She said, Sure, but you're graded on my answer, on the scientific answer. And I did. I did it, turned it in. And she came to me. She said, "You really believe this, don't you?" I said, "Yes, ma'am." She said, "Why do you believe this? Why do you believe this is how the world came to be?" I said, "Because the Bible says so." She shook her head. She said, "I wish I wish I could believe like that." Don't ever back away from the truth. Because God, through His truth, will reach lost men and women. I wish I could tell you she became a Christian. I don't know if she did. But I know she read the biblical account of how we got here. And the purpose that we serve. And the reason God did all He did that day. And I know that it shook her to her core. She said, I just can't believe. And I said, not in a mean way, but in a loving way. You do believe. But you believe in science. And I believe in Christ. I believe in science also, but he's not the foundation of my hope. He is. And Ms. Graham, with shaking head, said, I wish I could believe. I wish you could believe also. And I know that when he gives you faith... You will believe. And so all I'm saying to you is, at the end of this sermon, I'm going to pray, and I want you to deal with him directly. I am not your priest. I've presented to you what I believe, what the Bible teaches, and now I want you to deal with him. Deal with him. Lost man, lost woman, lost child. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. He is mighty to save. Saved person. Cry out to Him. And He will give you strength. Let's pray. Father, So we bring this to an end.